0: morning. And uh, last week, I appreciate Mike Reed uh, filling in for uh, for me and uh, did an awesome job. And uh, But I'm glad to be back. And I want to say a couple things before we uh, jump into the message this morning. Um, one is we got Discover Schindler happening today. So what Discover Schindler is, is an opportunity for you to class uh, time for us to spend with those of you who are interested in either becoming covenant members of Schindler Drive Baptist Church, or you just want to learn more about who we are. And so tonight, we're actually going to have that class here on campus, on the north end of our campus, Uh, over if you come in on the hips side in the entrance, it's the smaller building on that end of our our campus. So we'll be in the office building tonight in the conference room at 5 p.m. for Discover Schindler, and we already have a great crew that's going to be joining us there, but it's not too late to come, all right? So again, you'll be able to learn about who we are as a church, we'll get to spend some time in this fellowship, and you get free Moe's. What's better than that, all right? (laughs) So that's only for people who are interested in joining the church, all right? Uh, Everybody's going to be showing up for Moe's. All right, so if you you would like to join that class or attend that class, uh, be sure that you go by uh, the Welcome Center this morning and just let us know you're going to be there, all right? So uh, also, um, our kids uh, got back from kids' camp uh, a few days ago, and they've been at a, a centrifuge kids' camp this past week. And I see all the purple shirts walking around. I think that's what that's about, right? So uh, we, uh, they had a great week. I got to go up there one day and just peek in and see what was going on. And it was a lot of fun to see uh, all the different activities, uh, but also the, to hear about the, the gospel truths that were shared. Of course, that's the most important part. And so I pray for them as they're coming back with their hearts filled up with that gospel and that truth uh, that things will take root. And I appreciate Michelle and all the workers who went. Uh, it was a great week. Uh, and I enjoyed talking to my, my middle son, went, Benson, and we got to talk about the week a little bit. And, and just to talk about once we got through a lot of the fun stories and the prank war stories and all that stuff, uh, we got to hear a little bit about what the... Uh, uh, the, the sermons were about and, and got to have a really cool conversation with him where something clicked about the gospel and him understanding that the gospel's not just it's not something that, you know, you kind of visit early on right there out of the gate in your Christian life. It's not something you graduate from. It's uh, it's something that you continue to grow in for the rest of your life, that the gospel Jesus death, burial and resurrection, uh, the grace, the truth, all of those things. You you grow in that and you apply those things to your life for the rest of your life, right? And and how as a believer, the gospel is powerful and it changes us and it impacts everything about us. The, The gospel changes everything and it's powerful to do so. And it's something that we're continuing to learn about in the book of Acts. That's what we've been learning about, the unstoppable power of the gospel. As it moves throughout the world, changes lives. And then as it changes life, it continues to transform and change that life again by the power of the gospel. And so with those things in mind, we're going to keep moving through Acts. So stand with your Bibles open, Acts chapter 16. And I will read uh, one of the most well-known stories in all of Acts. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for all, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Uh, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just simply ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us as a church this morning, God, that you would do something powerful, that you would do something deep and lasting today as we get into your word that we know is powerful and active and living. And we pray we would all be changed for eternity today as a result of being together for worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're studying through Acts on Sunday, Sunday mornings. This is the sixteenth message in the series, and we're just going to keep moving through it and uh, we spent a little extra time in chapter 16 where we find three stories, three salvation stories about three individuals that can be uh, that are uh, you know are very different have different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds uh, come from different places in the city. Uh, and uh, have different rap sheets when it comes to things that they've done in their past. Just different people, but all have the common problem of sin and separation from a holy God and all are in need of and collide with one common solution, which is the gospel, which is Jesus Christ, who fixes that problem. And a few weeks ago, we studied uh, the first salvation story. So again, Luke in chapter 16, as they went into Philippi, he just focuses on three of these people who collided with the gospel. And the first that we studied about was Lydia. Remember, Lydia is a very, she's a rich lady. She's sharp. She's uh, she's a very uh, put together person. She owns her own business. If wealthy. She would have been looked up to. She was somewhat spiritual. Just seemed to have her life together. She seemed to have what the world would say you would need in order to be happy, but she was empty. And there next to Uh, A river, the apostle Paul is leading a Bible study and he begins to lay out gospel truths. And there next to that river, God opens her heart to see the glory and the treasure of Christ. And when your heart is, here's the gospel and the Holy Spirit opens your heart. This is what happens when you get saved, opens your heart to the beauty and treasure of Christ. What happens is the will responds to that in faith and repentance. And that's what happens in her life. And her heart for the first time is flooded with true satisfaction for her soul. And then you have a slave girl was the, that was the next person that we see collide with the gospel. She's possessed by a, a demon. She collides with the power of the gospel, which is something you would think uh, as this demon is cast out of this girl. She's been terrorizing the town. She's been probably talking weird in weird ways and, and terrorizing people. You'd think everybody would be excited about that. But her slave owners were not excited about that. They weren't big fans of that miracle. Uh, but why? Because they've been using like her demon-possessed-fueled ability to fortune-tell for their advantage to make money. And so that little system is getting broke down, and they don't like that, and so they create a stir. They don't like the fact that Paul just came and ruined the way that they were making a bunch of money to feed their sinful desires and their lust. Like, we can't take this girl down to the dog track anymore and make us a bunch of money, right? This is not good. And so they go to the leaders of the town, the magistrates, who are kind of the leaders in charge of law and order in that city. And they're like, listen, these four guys are in town. They're stirring stuff up. Magistrates, listen, you're in charge. You're in charge of making sure things don't get out of control. You guys really want the Roman authorities coming into Philippi and seeing how things are getting out of control because they're about to get out of control. I'm telling you, these guys are stirring some things up. And it says the word that they use is, the words they use is, they say that the Paul and Silas and the others are advocating customs unlawful for Romans. They make the case that they're pushing a religion that's not approved by Rome. So they're like, hey, you got, y'all better do something. The crowds start hearing these slave owners' arguments. They start uh, getting with them, making a lot of noise. And the magistrates, they, uh, they buckle, and they say, we've got to do something about it. And so the magistrates, they tore off their garments, and they gave orders for them to be beat with rods. And, and I want you to think about what's happening right here. Remember, we've talked about how Satan attacks. Right. And so but but look at how relentless Satan is. So he moves immediately from him attacking and trying to make this alliance with the missionaries through this demon possessed girl, trying to stop and thwart the, the gospel advancement there in Philippi, Macedonia. He tries to do that first through the spiritual kind of oppressive type of attack. And immediately when this demon is passed, is uh, cast out of this, this demon possessed girl and he see that, sees that that's not going to work. What does he do? Satan turns to a physical persecution type of tactic. So physical persecution comes in to play here. He's relentless. Once again, we're reminded and we want to keep reminding ourselves of this over and over and over again because Acts is reminding our hearts of it. We're reminded that we do have a real enemy, that while we live on this earth, that there's an enemy. If you are in Christ, there's a target on you. And he does not like the advancement of the gospel. He does not like the disciples who are at the disposal of Jesus Christ. And he will be relentless about attacking that advancement of the gospel. But it's also a story that reminds us that Jesus, in the same way that the enemy won't stop attacking, Jesus won't stop winning. The gospel won't stop advancing. So that should fuel us up with some some motivation and encouragement. That listen, if that's true, if Jesus doesn't stop winning, if the gospel is, is victorious and triumphant, it won't stop advancing. Then we don't stop believing as disciples. We don't stop surrendering to the Lord. It's a story that reminds us that by the power of the gospel, we don't stop worshiping no matter how bad it gets. And that's really what we see in this story this morning. That no matter how bad it gets, that we can actually, fueled by the gospel, powered by the gospel, worship God within whatever trial we face on this earth. And they're about to face one. First point we see this morning is this. We talk about the power of the gospel on the move. We see uh, two men, Paul and Silas, suffering well by the power of the gospel. That's the first point. Suffering well by the power of the gospel. So they they are thrown into this trial. It's not a fair hearing. It's quick. That's interesting to think about how over and over again these early believers are following, see how they're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Just a phony trial, they get beaten. The rods that, they, that were used to beat them were these bundles of, of, of rods that would have just kind of viciously tore into the, their backs would have ripped open the skin or beaten severely. This is one of three instances that Paul's probably referring to in 2 Corinthians 11.25. No medical attention is given. They probably just threw their shirts back on. They're given to this prison guard who throws them in jail into the maximum security part of this jail. Think like a, uh, like a dungeon-like inner room. There's no light, not a lot of air, probably standing water, a rat-infested, dark, miserable place to be. And then he goes a step further, and it says that he puts their feet in stocks. So is just them beaten? They've been thrown into this dungeon-like cell in the middle of this prison, and now they've had their feet put in stocks. Now, all of us, some of us have been to Williamsburg, some of us have been to Dollywood, or some of us to Disney World, and we know about stocks. Like, we kind of smile. We take our pictures. It's kind of a little weird, right, if you think about it. right? We're used to it. But, like, oh, come on, kids. Like, let's take a picture. People used to get hauled away and killed from these things. All right, smile. Look at the camera. Right. But it's, you know, it's kind of playful, playful little prop there. These stocks were different. All right. These were actually used for torture reasons. So they would actually cut holes in the pieces of wood and they'd stretch your legs out, split them out as far as they could go in those holes. And then they would lock you in and they'd leave you like that all night long. Not a great day at the office for Paul and Silas. And let's just stop and think about this. Think about the punishment they're receiving. Think about the suffering that they're enduring and all like for why? What reason? Why? Because they stopped to help a young lady who was demon possessed and spiritually oppressed, not just by not just spiritually, but actually physically by these men. This this right here is a reason why we struggle because we look at this and we go, this isn't fair. This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem to line up with everything that that we think Christianity should be about or how things should be. And uh, one reason is we grow up with a lot of different little kind of trite little sayings that if we think about it, really don't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it in the context of biblical Christianity. Like we grow up with little sweet little sayings that really look really, really good stitched on a pillow, right? Or slapped on a coffee mug or, or put on a t-shirt or maybe on a Facebook post, right? A nice little Facebook post. It's got a nice little picture of a little family, you know, a little artsy looking you know, picture of a family walking on a little nice little hiking trail. A beautiful little picture of like a, a mountain hiking trail. And it's got a little filter on it. And then it has a, a text over top of that that says, The safest and best place to be is in the center of God's will. Oh, doesn't, that, doesn't that sound good? You couldn't be more in the center of God's will than Paul and Silas right here. Right? They've answered the Macedonian call to share the gospel and they followed the voice of God. He knows that they sent him there to share the gospel. And where has it landed them? You can't be more in the center of the will of God than these guys right here. And where has it landed them? In the inner prison with their backs flayed open, bloody, and their legs seasoned up in those stocks. Which means this, you got to be really careful not to just grab on to fluffy little statements like that that may look good stitched on a pillow at your grandmama's house, but may not be very true. Listen, God's will may take you hundreds and hundreds of different places, and the point is not safety, the point is God's glory. This story, listen, is about God being glorified through their suffering way more than He would have been glorified through their comfort. It's not about safety. It's about glory. It's about God's glory. And there is scripture all over this book that clues us in to that truth. Right? There's there's evidence all over the Bible, even through metaphors. If you think about it, Jesus called the the way to in following him the narrow path. Right? That's a picture. It's a word picture. He was giving them of a steep and dangerous rocky path. As opposed to a wide path, it's easy to walk down. Paul said what about his faith? How did he describe his faith through the metaphors that he used? He said, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Right? Is fighting always a pain-free, pleasant experience for folks? No. The writer of Hebrews kind of takes that idea of the race. Chapter 12, first two verses says, run the race with endurance. The race that is set before us. There's exertion there there in that metaphor. There's sweat. There's struggle. There's an idea of things at times being uncomfortable. Notice, he says this. He says, run the race with endurance. He doesn't say, so let us relax in the Holy Spirit lazy boy of our sanctification. He doesn't say, let us just sink down into the mattress of our discipleship. Let us ease into the warm, bubbly waters of the Jesus jacuzzi of our spiritual growth. (laughs) Metaphors matter. Why? Because the metaphors in Scripture, they set our expectations. And your expectations, especially when it comes to suffering and trials, your expectations about those things will determine whether or not when you get into those difficult times, whether you turn back and lose heart or keep persevering. Listen to this. A key to praising in the storm. It's not an an if you will walk through a storm. It's a a, when you will walk through a storm. Some of you either just came out of one, you're in one, you're about to be in one. And a key to praising in the storm and persevering through the storm is having a heart that long before you even get into the storm, you understand what you're signing up for when it comes to Christianity. People who persevere through the proverbial prisons of life are disciples who listened with a heart of faith when Jesus said, when they first came to him in Matthew 16, 24, if anybody's going to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, take up a symbol of death and suffering and pain and follow me. The Christian life is full of struggle. Listen, we are not the first believers to ever struggle. To ever face proverbial prisons. In this case, a physical prison. And I think the first step towards Paul and Silas being able to respond the way that they do right here is them having the right kind of biblical expectations about life and about trials and about suffering and how those things are experienced in the Christian experience. But here's the thing. It's not just about, yeah, you need to expect it. It's going to be part of your your journey, your Christian experience. But here's what we learn with Paul and Silas. It's not just something you expect and you just try to kind of endure. What they show us is something way more radical than that, that with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the same Holy Spirit that's living inside of them, the same gospel empowering you, the same gospel that powered them. It's that by the grace of God, you can actually use that trial, use that proverbial prison, use that storm as an opportunity to praise God and to point people to Jesus as you walk through it. It says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Complaining, cursing God. This is this right, this is this is where the, the scream flake kind of takes a weird, goofy right turn where you don't think it's going that way. Paul and Silas, in the middle of this, where there's... Their their legs seizing up and cramping in these stocks, with their backs flayed open in that dark inner dungeon, jail cell, begin to pray and sing hymns to God. Doesn't feel like the story should naturally flow that way, right? That's me. I'm going, really? Like God, we try we're trying here. This doesn't seem, this doesn't seem like it fits with what we. Thought this was going to be like you told us to go here, right? We thought we were following your will and following your voice and doing what you told us. So we just, we just cast a demon out of a demon possessed girl. Come on. Can we get a pat on the back? Like, I feel like we kind of deserve a plaque, maybe a ceremony of celebration for what we've done. And here we are covered in our own blood with our legs in stocks. It doesn't seem fair. And we, if, if, if they did complain that make complete sense to so many of us, but they don't. You know why? Because the gospel makes you do weird things. Things that don't make sense in this world. Like responding to pain and responding to trials and responding to storms with singing and praying and smiling and praising God. How is that possible? How is it possible to respond? Some of you are in a proverbial prison this morning. Somebody's let you down, you feel rejected, you feel alone. Somebody you love is breaking your heart. Financial concerns. Maybe you lost a job. Marital difficulties. Some of you were walking and you weren't even looking for it. You, you were really trying to follow the Lord. And here you are. You, you found yourself in the middle of this proverbial prison. And you wonder as you look at these guys, how in the world could they be singing? How in the world can they be praying? How in the world can they be reacting the way that they're reacting here it is the gospel because if you believe the gospel you know even in the middle of a trial you've been given something suffering can't take away from you because your heart's convinced of the truth that in christ jesus your soul has experienced the ultimate rescue from the ultimate suffering of of pain and separation from god in hell You've been rescued from God's wrath. And because that is true, this is what I mean when I say believe the gospel more. If you truly believe that is true, then no matter where you're at, no matter what proverbial prison or physical prison you find yourself in, if you believe that that is true, then in those places you can sing. You always have a song to sing. They didn't know what would happen to them the next day. They didn't know if they would see the sun come up the next morning. All they knew is they served a God who was on his throne in heaven, who had proven himself faithful time and time again. They knew that his kingdom was advancing. They were thrilled because they saw the gospel at work. They saw the gospel taking root there in Philippi, Macedonia. They knew that they were sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. they knew what they were doing was eternal. And they knew, listen, on top of that, that they could take the temporal suffering because they'd been rescued from the eternal suffering all because of what Jesus did for them in their place on the cross. So in their pain, they said, hey, let's sing. Tertullian said this, I love this. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. Look at a little result of this. It says the second part, verse 25, It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. One of the most powerful, listen, one of the most powerful ways you can shine your light for Christ in this world is suffering well for the glory of Jesus by the power of the gospel. We, We bear witness to the gospel, of course, by telling people, People need to hear the word. They need to hear it articulated. They need to to be walked through scripture and understand it through conversation. But we communicate the gospel in a variety of different ways. Listen, and we bear witness to the gospel in a powerful way in different ways when we use our time differently. The way we live our life, how we use our money differently, how we use our stuff and possessions differently, how you use power differently. Listen, but there's something unique about when a Christian, when a believer suffers differently that captures the attention of a lost world. Because pain and suffering is something all of us share in common. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus or you know Christ, all of us. Have to walk through this broken world and experience the pain and the suffering and the trials. And when someone who's lost, who doesn't know Jesus Christ, looks at someone who has a hope inside of them that they don't have, and they're able to watch them trust Jesus and praise Jesus and sing to Jesus through, through a pain that they've even experienced, or maybe they're going through themselves, and they realize, you got something I don't have. You got a hope that I don't have. There's an impact that's made there that's unique and that's powerful. I mean, it will shake the worldly faulty foundations and lost people's lives around us. And I believe that's what's happening in this jail. As we'll see, the way that the prisoners are going to react in a second, along with Paul and Silas, I believe many of them got saved. Many of them are impacted. And even that jailer right there, he we're going to see his heart, and his life is beginning, the foundations of it spiritually are beginning to be shaken. And then I love God's timing. There's like liberal... Scholars, I use that word loosely, uh, who would say that, hey, earthquakes happened all the time in that part of the world. This was just kind of part of nature. But look at the timing here. You got the men inside of this prison who, as they are witnessing these men praising God in the middle of their storm, their, their spiritual foundations are shaking. And at that very moment, the earth begins to shake. The physical foundations that jail begin to shake. And the doors fall off and their shackles fall off of their arms and off their legs. And then the story takes a turn. And it goes from suffering well by the power of the gospel to a life being changed by the power of the gospel. Scratch that. A life being saved by the power of the gospel. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew the sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So he sees the doors opened and he knows it's his job to look after these prisoners. So his first reaction is, I'm a dead man. I was in charge of looking after them. It was my responsibility and they've escaped. And often the penalty when you were somebody in charge of prisoners like this, if they got away, you paid with your life. He knows how brutal the Roman justice system is. And so he's like, hey, before I ever get there, I'll just go ahead and take care of it for him. And so he lifts the sword, not knowing that Paul... And Silas and others are there in the darkness where he can't see in the shadows. And he hears a voice as he's about to drive a sword through himself. Say, don't do it. Everybody's here. You're all right. Everybody stayed. You're all right. How amazing is that? That doesn't even make sense. Why, why, why is Paul and these other prisoners still there? They had every opportunity to leave. They should be like, you know, in the, in the movies on the railroad tracks, moving to the next town, running for their life. Here's what's happening. What you find here is an example of men who are so committed to the advancement of the gospel, so in tune with the mission that God's called them to and so, you know, aware of the reason why they're in Macedonia, they've gone there to help Macedonia by preaching the gospel and advancing the gospel and they're so in tune with the mission of God that they understand that their chains breaking, their physical shackles falling off of their arms and off of their legs, and the doors falling off of the jail is not about them running free and being rescued, but it's going to be an opportunity for a real prisoner that They weren't the real prisoners in that prison that day. The jailer was. And their chains falling off isn't an opportunity for them to run free. It's an opportunity for them to stand and point them to the one who can set the real prisoner free. Who is the jailer. So the jail doors fall off and Paul says, nobody move. Nobody move. And he sees the jailer pick up the sword and he'll stop. And the jailer drops the sword This is a powerful moment where the jailer realizes what just happened. This is where the Holy Spirit begins to soften and draw the heart of a rugged, ex-military, tough, no-nonsense type of guy. This is a a reminder. Listen, the gospel can save anybody, the most hard-hearted person here. I mean, this is a... By the way, just a little background on this guy. This is a man's man. That's the kind of guy who worked this kind of job. This is a tough guy. This is the guy that goes home and fixes stuff himself. Right, I try to do that. I usually make it worse, and then have to get a real man to come and finish the job. <laughs> this is a guy who, you know, watches football. Right, this is the guy who watches Duck Dynasty and Pawn Stars and war movies. This is the guy who does not buy organic food on purpose. <laughs> this is a rugged kind of guy. Hey, this is the type of guy who would have seen submitting to a God of the Bible. Before all this happened is something weak. I can do it. And on top of that, he was hard-nosed. He was brutal, an ex-Roman soldier. Uh, Philippi was a place where uh, ex-Roman military would go and retire and get kind of government jobs like this. He, he had been trained to be a professional torture. This is what he did. The hospitality is not something you learn in Roman soldier training school. So he was brutal. Like, remember, the magistrates, all they said was, hey, there's trouble in the city. These guys are causing trouble. Hey, go lock them up and keep them safe. It was his idea to put their legs in stocks. It was his idea to not give them medical attention. And when he hears Paul's voice in this moment, he realizes what happened. He says, man, they could have easily gotten me back. Who wouldn't have... Sought out vengeance in that moment. I mean, they could have snuck out of here in the night knowing that them sneaking out of here would would have me killed. Hey, they could have picked up swords and done it themselves. And yet they stayed put because of me. The way I just treated them, they stayed put because of me. As brutally as I treated them, and he's wrecked. And this rugged, hard-hearted guy... Listen, because of the songs he's been hearing them sing, because of what he's, what he's witnessed in their demeanor and the way they trusted God through an extreme trial as they sat there bloody with their legs in stocks and with a little bit of information that we think that he probably gathered from the hope demon-possessed girl situation that had probably gotten around town. He knew why they were being thrown in jail. And through the little bit of theology he had learned through the songs that they were singing, he ran in and all he knew to do was say this, Sirs, there's a change of relationship there. Notice the humility there, sirs. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you have? You got something different that I don't have and I want it. And I love their answer. One line just says this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe. That's it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever what believe. It's not about doing. It's about believing. And it's good, that's a good question. All right, what must I do, right? It's a good question because it demonstrates that he understands that he has a need to be rescued. But it's also the picture of a problem with the way that the human heart's oriented. What can I do? Give me something that I can do. How can I be right with God? Not that when our heart is awakened for our need. That can be just that, can be that human part of us in responding like, what can I do? Give me the checklist. Give me the steps I need to follow. What mountain do I need to climb? Because we're bent towards being religious. We're bent towards thinking that being right with God is about doing enough right in this life to cancel out all my wrongs. And then maybe if I do enough right, that cancels out all of my wrongs and kind of add Jesus into that a little bit. you know, maybe when I get to the end of my life and I close my eyes in death, maybe I'll step into the presence of God and I can kind of slide by the pearly gates and make it in. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not about what I can do to be saved. It's about believing and trusting in what's already done. Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished. Jesus died on the cross. He said, it is done. It is over. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you to be saved. And listen, salvation is about you no longer trusting in your ability to clean up your life and to fix your broken, sinful heart. Becoming a Christian is about shifting the weight of your hope for your salvation away from your own righteousness and completely on what Jesus has finished for you on the cross. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. You just believe it. Okay, so... I say that, and yet I feel a need to say this as well. Many of us would amen that, and yet maybe we're not guarding our hearts enough from the type of kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, man-centered gospel preaching that is all over the place today. I mean, crowds, droves of people are piling into places to hear man-centered gospel presentations. So what I'm going to do... Don't amen this, okay? So I'm about to to demonstrate this. I just want to preface it with this. Don't amen this at the end because maybe you're going to feel an urge. And that's the reason why so many people flock to this kind of teaching. Sounds good, man. It connects with a part of us that's just not a good part of us. But you'll hear somebody get up, usually a very charismatic personality kind of preacher, and he'll begin to talk about your anxiety, man. You got fears, man. You got obstacles in your life. You got challenges in your life. I'm talking about those hangups that are holding you back from being everything that God made you to be. You just need to stand tall. You need to walk out. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and stop listening to those voices in your own mind. And you need to listen to a new voice that says to go out and to keep moving. Don't let nothing break your stride. Don't let nothing hold you down. You can do this. Go after it. Your breakthrough is coming Go and grab onto it. That will get a crowd hyped up. The problem is it's not right. The problem is it's not biblical. And maybe, maybe you're not a believer. And you wonder, well, what's down at the bottom of all of this when it comes to biblical Christianity? Just put it in a nutshell. You ready? Here it is. When you get down to the bottom of it, this is it. There's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do. But someone has loved you enough to do all that needs to be done for you. God has looked down on our helpless state. He's looked down to us with the curse of sin and the penalty of sin and the debt that we owe for our sin hanging over our heads and we can do nothing about it. And he took action. He sent his son, Jesus, who stepped out of heaven and lived a sinless life that we should have lived and died on the cross and took the penalty that we deserved and draped down the wrath of God on our behalf and paid the price in full. It's paid. The bill has been paid. He paid the penalty on your behalf. When he said it is finished, that wasn't just a suggestion. That wasn't just maybe. It was a complete conclusive statement by the king of the universe I paid for your sins. It is finished. And now we're left with this. Simply believing it and receiving it. It's not about what you can do. I don't know. I think some some of us may be here and you may be kind of holding on to some kind of southern fried religion kind of approach to trying to be right with God. Thinking you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and do enough. And I'm telling you, you can't. Christianity is not about what you do to be saved. It's about believing and trusting what is done. And The better sermon that we keep preaching to ourselves is it's already been paid. By the way, that's a message in a sermon we need to keep preaching to our hearts and re-preaching to our hearts even as believers. Some of you have believed the gospel. Some of you believed in Jesus. You've taken um, the steps of faith. Repented of your sins, thrown the weight of your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You're a believer and yet there's still sins that you're thinking define you. That you feel like you're going to have to answer for one day in heaven if you don't balance out that bad with enough good. And I'm just trying to get to the point where you understand and realize it's been paid. Your sins are... All of it. God not only knew what you have done up to this point and in your past. He knows everything that you'll ever do. And he's paid for your sins in full. Imagine, I'll give you a a simple illustration. I think I've used something like this before. But imagine we go. I I go to a restaurant this afternoon. Maybe back to Five Guys. Because I like paying way too much money for a really good cheeseburger. (laughs) And I get up there and order that double cheeseburger. man. get it, you know. Fixed up the way I like it with some bacon and other stuff and give me some fries and put all those fries in the bag and I'm hungry and I get it there and I'm ready to pay. And I pull out my wallet and the lady says, no, sorry, uh, somebody's already paid for your meal. I'm like, what? Yep, somebody just took care of your meal. Now, time out. I'm not going to Five Guys today. This is not a a desperate attempt to get somebody to pay for my lunch, all right? But if she said it's been paid in full, what if I said no but I mean, I don't like, I want to pay for a little bit of it. No, it's been paid. Just let me just pay for just a little bit of it. Just a fraction of the cost of whatever it was. Just let me. She'd go, no, sir, you need to calm down. You need to take your cheeseburger and your fries and you need to move on. You know why? Because it's been paid in full. Here you go. All you got to do is receive it. And listen, what God is saying this morning is this. It's been paid for. A hundred percent of it has been paid for all of it. It doesn't mean we don't fight against sin. It doesn't mean we don't take sin seriously. It doesn't mean we don't confess our sins and go to war against sin. We just know that in Christ, our sin no longer defines us. And the eternal debt for those sins has been paid in full. He didn't just pay for like 75% of it. He didn't pay for just like 80% of it or 99% of it. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to pay off that little bit of percentage that's left. The amazingly good news about the gospel is this. That if we've believed in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the bill's been paid. Listen, and by the way, that truth is the most potent gospel fuel that will send you out this week. To live a life that honors God. When you know that it's been paid in full. And you really get that. And you've really tasted his grace. Listen. The, the, the biblical spiritual. Way you respond to that as a disciple. Is a heart that swells up. More in love with him. And then you go out run into holiness. Not to earn love. Or to earn favor. Or to earn forgiveness. But because you've received all those things. And then the final thing. That we see in this passage is significant change by the power of the gospel. Verse 32 says, And they spoke the word to him and all who were in his house, so they sit down with him. I love that in chapter 16 we see these uh, wonderful examples of discipleship. You see them sitting down walking the jailer through gospel truth. And he believes it, he receives it, and he's radically changed. Notice the gospel change. If you read through the rest of the story, the one who threw them in prison is now cleaning their wounds. The jailer who who put his hands on them in an aggressive way now is putting himself in their hands so they can baptize him to be a public expression of his faith. The one who just a few minutes earlier was about to take his own life, was about to commit suicide, is now full of life and full of rejoicing. By the way, I just want to I just feel led to say this today that, especially in the year that we just went through, where depression is just through the roof. I've talked with people even this week who are like, I've never dealt with it. It used to be kind of this foreign idea that I could never connect with and understand. Anybody went through it. And I've had a season that I've walked through this past year for the first time in my life. People who never had any issues with feeling low or feeling like they were in clouds that they couldn't escape from. Depression's through the roof. And you may be here this morning, and and it may not just be depression. You may have had real thoughts of actually harming yourself or suicidal thoughts. I want you to look at this story. I want you to think about this story. Because we see a man right here who there's a 30-second spread between him about to take his life and then his life being changed forever. When 30 seconds are a minute... And it's a reminder that the moment that could change your life may just be around the corner. Amen. So No matter how you feel this morning, don't keep that to yourself. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. We want to walk with you. You're not alone. Amen. The Last thing we see in the way that he's changed is how... Just a moment ago, he was treating them as criminals, and now he's invited them up to his house. Evidently, he was attached to the jail. He's grilling out. They're 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 hanging out. They're having fellowship and their family. They were enemies just a few seconds before. Now they're family. That's what the that's what the gospel does. What an amazing picture of grace and transformation. Genuine belief in Christ and the gospel always results in genuine change. And we see that pictured in the jailer. As I close, I just want to read the rest of this passage, beginning in verse thirty-five. But when it was Day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported those these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and let uh, now and go in peace. So for some reason, they felt like they wanted to let Paul and Silas go. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Nah, I don't think so. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid, and they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they all came down and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went uh, out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. the question is, is if Paul knew that it was illegal for them to do all of this because he's a Roman citizen, why didn't he just pull out his Roman driver's license at the beginning of all this and be like, whoa, before you put your hands on me, I'm a Roman citizen. Some people will make the argument that it was because it was just chaotic and noisy with that crowd and he wasn't able to lift his voice and speak up for himself. I actually, as you study the person of Paul and you do a character study of the type of person he was, I think probably what's happening here is Paul is choosing to walk a path of suffering and persecution here so this infant church doesn't have to. Think about that. He's taking a beating so that at least temporarily they can live in some peace. Is that not an awesome picture and glimpse of the gospel? And Jesus who took a beating so that we could experience eternal peace? He didn't want this infant church to be harassed. So Paul's like, hey, hey, in his mind, he's like, man, that those new believers, they watched what happened to me. They watched me get beat like a dog for my faith. I know that they're intimidated. I know they're scared. And I want y'all to walk me out of here with some dignity. And he wants to fill that church with some confidence and send also a message to the authorities in that town. Y'all need to back off for a little bit to make some space for the advancement of the gospel in Philippi. And I love this on his way out of town. He goes by Lydia's house. A church that did not exist a few days prior, before they rolled up into Macedonia. The first church planted on European soil. And he walks into Lydia's house, who's used what God's given her, that big house, leveraging it for ministry and for the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. And they're holding church services there. And I can only imagine what's going through uh, Paul's heart, what's going through his mind as he looks into that room before he leaves town. And he sees a, a Gentile jailer, he sees Lydia, a sharp businesswoman, and she see, he sees this former slave girl. The first church in Macedonia, the first church in Philippi. I wonder if he was thinking about when he was a Pharisee, there was a prayer that they would pray every single morning. And as Jews, they were required to recite three blessings. And it was this, kind of a strange prayer. You ready? They would say, thank God I'm not a woman. All right, That that was very encouraging for the women listening to that. They'd say, thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. And thank God I'm not a slave. And here the first converts in Macedonia are a woman, a Gentile prison guard, and a slave. The three people who begin a movement in Europe Which will become the stage on which the gospel will be launched out to all the corners of the globe. And it's got to remind him of just how powerful the gospel is. Powerful to save anybody. I want you to know that nobody is beyond the reach of God's love. It shows us the unifying power of the gospel. For the gospels at work, why would any of these people have any reason to hang out? Different parts of the area, different upbringings run with different crowds, and yet now they have everything in common because all of them have been changed by the gospel and are unified under the banner of it is finished. And God's about to use them to push darkness back in Macedonia. And I don't know what Paul said to them. It says that he encouraged them. But I imagine maybe he said something like this. Hey, your life's collided with the gospel, never stop growing in it. Never stop being changed by the power of the gospel. Never stop rejoicing over what God has done in your life. Never stop rejoicing. Never get over. Never let your heart grow dull to what's happened here. That Jesus Christ died for you. And you've just gone from death to life. You've just been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You've just gone from an enemy to a friend of God. You've just gone to having your, your sins in your life that you could not wipe away on your own, being in a miraculous way, being wiped away by the blood of Jesus. Your life will never be the same. Never get over that. Never stop growing in the gospel. Never stop rejoicing for what he's done for you. Never stop marveling at the work that's happening on the cross. Never stop growing in the gospel because soon you're going to suffer for it. Soon you're going to suffer for it, just like I did. And the deeper your roots grow into the gospel, the better you'll be able to handle those trials for the glory of God. And as you suffer well by the power of the gospel, God will use that to change lives for eternity. And I imagine they leaned in and listened, especially as we continue to read about the activities in the Philippian church. And my prayer today is that we'll lean and listen to that as well. Let's pray. Here's the invitation this morning. Are you suffering? Here's my exhortation to you. Apply the gospel to your life. Are you suffering? Are you in a proverbial prison? Are you in a storm? Apply the gospel to your life. Believe the gospel more. Remember what you've been rescued from. And if you remember the ultimate rescue that's happened in your life from the ultimate suffering, no matter what you're going through this morning, with a heart of faith, you can stand in just a few moments and you can open your mouth and you can sing. You can praise God. Maybe you're lonely this morning. Here's my exhortation. Apply the gospel to your life. Maybe you have a loved one who you feel, you, sometimes you wonder if there's any way that could ever be reached by the gospel. Apply the gospel to that situation. It can save anybody. Maybe you've grown dull in your worship. Remember what Jesus did on the cross. Look to the cross. Or maybe you're lost this morning. Salvation is available. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's paid in full. Pushed across the counter. You just receive it that's you this morning and you need to be saved. And you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you and you're ready to throw the full weight of your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ for the full forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to be waiting down front. I'd love to pray with you. This altar will be open. You take the steps that you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to take right now.